Hi, welcome to Season 3 of All Ears at Child's Voice, a podcast discussing all things hearing loss. We aim to connect parents of children with hearing loss with the professionals who serve them. My name is Jessica Perlman, and I'm one of the school speech-language pathologists here at Child's Voice. I work with all the students on their speech and language needs, and I love getting to work with the students and watching them learn and grow over time. And now, on to the show. Welcome to another episode of All Ears at Child's Voice. We aim to connect parents of children with hearing loss to the professionals who serve them. We're your hosts. I'm Wendy Dieters. And I'm Tatum Fritz. This week on the show, we are joined by Julie and her daughter, Clara. Clara uses bilateral cochlear implants. She previously attended Child's Voice and is about to be a student at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. So she just graduated this past summer and is about to be transitioning to college. Julie additionally serves as a current member of the Board of Directors for Child's Voice. Today we will be talking with Clara and her mother, Julie, about their experience with Clara's hearing loss. Julie and Clara, welcome to the show. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Julie and Clara have a long history with Child's Voice, but we were also reconnected with them through the manufacturer of Clara's devices, Cochlear. So before we continue, we just want to make it clear that although we'll be talking to Julie and Clara specifically about the Cochlear device, we're not promoting any specific product on this podcast. We are really working towards having representation from all Cochlear implant manufacturers at some point on the show. And if you have questions about device selection, when you're considering a cochlear implant, please talk with your team, especially your audiologists. We will link all three of the cochlear implant manufacturers' websites, including Medell, Advanced Bionics, and Cochlear, in our show notes today. Now that we've addressed that, let's get to know our guests better. Julie and Clara, we will definitely be talking about this more in depth when we get into our main discussion. But Julie, can you briefly tell listeners about your family? And then Clara, can you share some about your hearing loss and the devices you use? Julie, would you like to start? Sure. So Clara is a twin. Her and her brother were born in 2001. And we didn't uh, uncover Clara's hearing loss until she was about 14 months old. So we had suspected her hearing, there may be uh, an issue with it based on her brother, um, or just responding to, you know, basic things. So when we took her into the pediatrician, at first the pediatrician thought I was a nervous new mom and uh, kind of dismissed the situation. And then after a month, I went back to her and said, no, I really think I need to like see somebody. So then she referred me to an ENT, and we went ahead, and uh, she was tested, and then we discovered that she had a severe to profound hearing loss, and then sought out as much information as we could on our different options. Yeah, so I use cochlear implants, and I've grown up using them all my life, and I've really been supported with my family, teachers, friends, and just kind of learned how to overcome the different struggles that come with having a hearing loss. Also found a lot of accomplishments through that and a lot of successes doing that. So can you both briefly share with the listeners about your connection to and ongoing involvement with Child's Voice? You said you first started to suspect the hearing loss around 14 months old. And then when did you start to find Child's Voice, receive services? Mm -hmm. Sure. Back in 2002, we started, once we found out she had her hearing loss, we started exploring different options. We knew that we wanted her to be able to be in a 
oral environment, being able to communicate with anyone that she chose to and not be limited in her communication mode. So we immediately started exploring oral communication and found that there were multiple therapists in our area that offered this uh, communication mode. So we started working with a lady early on. Clara was diagnosed at 14 months, immediately got hearing aids. So she was working with this therapist on uh, sounds. And then as we explored her hearing aids and realizing that she was still missing certain sounds, she just didn't have access to all the sounds, then we were introduced to the idea of cochlear implants and uh, started to explore and seek out different surgeons, experts in their field on that. And after researching and interviewing a couple different surgeons, we decided that the cochlear implant was the right way for her to go so she could have access to the speech sounds that she just couldn't get through her hearing aids. We actually found Child's Voice through an article in the Tribune back in uh, the days when people actually received newspapers. (laughs) But we read an article. In fact, my sister-in-law was the one that had made me aware of it. And I read about the school and I thought, wow, this sounds fabulous. These children are learning to listen and speak through speech therapy programs, and we have to go check this school out. So in the process of that, I had referenced the speech therapist that we were seeing at home, and she had heard about Child's Voice and suggested we go check it out because she was getting just limited speech therapy. I think we went maybe one or two hours a week with this woman. And we knew that we needed to have a little bit more of an aggressive plan to get her caught up in her speech. So when we visited Child's Voice School, my husband and I walked through the halls and we heard children talking and singing and laughing and playing and sharing books. And we thought, wow, this is where we need to be. This is where Clara needs to be. And we immediately saw like a light at the end of the tunnel from a full communications perspective. We felt like, wow, she's really going to be able to learn what she needs to at the school. And we'd also learned that so much of speech is acquired before the age of five, mm-hmm. approximately. And so we knew at this point she's two and a half and uh, we're evaluating cochlear implants and we realized like we really need to make sure she's in the right program. So we immediately found love and signed her up and enrolled her at Child's Voice School and worked with our school district and they were cooperative at first and then we did have to advocate for why we wanted her to go to Child's Voice and it all worked out great. We immediately saw a difference in her responding to sounds and working with the teachers there. She went, I think initially you were there three days a week in the mornings, and she really flourished. She had other kids in her class that were learning the same thing she was. It was very play-based, but also great opportunity to pick up so many initial speech sounds and then words and then phrases and then sentences. And so that's how we really arrived at Child's Voice and stayed. That's so cool that it was a news article that originally got you connected. Yeah. So it goes to show you got to promote awareness in the media. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In a printed article. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I can't imagine. I'm sure you can't either, Claire. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. 
So is it all? We also know that you're still connected to the school. You're on the board. Are you involved in the alumni program at all? Yeah, I am. Every once in a while, we'll have events where we get all the alumni together to talk and hang out and just reconnect because it's really good to see other people who have hearing loss and just kind of like relate on experiences because usually you're not really going to a school where you're going to have many other people with hearing loss. So it's awesome to be able to kind of laugh about different experiences we both go through. And then we also do events where we're fundraising for uh, Child's Voice and for other different programs. And it's really awesome just to be able to come together. And then also we'll volunteer for things like that Child's Voice has, like the golf events. And I currently do have two best friends still from Child's Voice that I still hang out very often with. And it's really awesome because we would have carpools to Child's Voice every morning. And it was just really cool that we stayed connected and we still get to see each other, even though we're at different schools and stuff. So, Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> That's so amazing. And I'm yes. sure the parents are and the good parents, supports for mm-hmm. you. And you guys get to share your yes. unique experiences together. But that's so cool that you're involved with other alums. Have you met any other alums that you weren't in school with but have become friends with later on? Somewhat. Okay. Everyone lives so far away yeah. when they go to Child's Voice. But we all like kind of know each other more now and we're a little more connected. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the alumni group that's working together now, it was really neat to watch them reunite as uh, a parent seeing these little people at five, six, seven years old, and many of them I hadn't seen in 10 years or so. At the first few alumni events, it was just almost brought me to tears to see these young men and women now together and enjoying each other's company and and outings and then actually planning events to help support the future students at Child's Voice and seeing the little people that are there today and uh, recognizing that they were once that age. That's wonderful. It's really neat. So before we go into the main discussion... We like asking our guests every week for a story from the past week. It could be anything, something cute, something funny, something heartwarming. Do either of you have something that comes to mind? <laughs> we were singing, terribly singing the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. I love oh, this already. We, yes, we were together at Summerfest watching a band, and we knew this song but didn't necessarily know all the words, so... Claire and I were singing together and making up the words, and she had different words than I did, and I had different (laughs) words than her, and we just laughed, and we just thought it was hilarious that we tried to just make up our own words of what we thought the song was. (laughs) Yeah, we're both just not good at picking up what the exact lyrics are, so we were both just laughing, figuring out that we both were doing that wrong. (laughs) Because I'm famous for getting the wrong lyrics in a song, and Clara has done it several times as well, and I say, I'm sorry, I think I must have passed that along to you because (laughs) (laughs) my friends make fun of me all the time. But it's fine (laughs) if you sing confidently, and it's fine. It sounds just as good. (laughs) Good. Wonderful. This sounds so fun. I love Chicago summer festivals. Mm-hmm. So we'll get into the main discussion now. Can we go back uh-huh. to that for just yeah, a second? Sure. I want to ask a question about the 
experience that you had with your pediatrician, Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes parents will say that they're the first ones that notice concerns, but sometimes Mm -hmm. other professionals don't share those concerns. What gave you the confidence to go back again and say, you know, I'm really concerned and and how can you advise other parents to do the same thing? Mm -hmm. So, you know, even though I felt like my pediatrician was attentive and, and she knew us, I knew she, I mean, she didn't really know us. Like she would see us every couple months. And after I had addressed a couple concerns with her about Claire's hearing loss, the tricky part was that she could hear very loud sounds. So they'd say, oh, bang, hands together. Or she would respond to the dog barking, or she would hear an engine go by and look up. So part of that was like, oh, well, she's hearing, but you're not educated as a new parent to know what speech sounds and what levels of hearing begin. So I did notice finally after I addressed the concern and she said, no, no, you're just a nervous new mom. So then I was like, okay, maybe she's right. Then like a week or two later, I had walked into the room with Claire and Leo. They shared a room and I was talking with them as I walked in and Leo immediately popped up and was like, mama, you know, and looking at me as I was talking, smiling and Clara was staring in the opposite direction. And I thought, well, Clara, and I called her a couple times, and she didn't look over, and I thought, okay, something's not right. And that's when I called her back and said, I need to see you, and within like a week, I, I was back in there. But then, you know, the problem is, too, they take time to do the ABR testing and the hearing testing, so it was like another month or six weeks before we actually got a diagnosis, even. So the official diagnosis was more like 16 months? Yes, it was like 16 months, yep. Exactly. Because having concerns at 14 Yeah, months. so 12 months I brought up the concerns, 14 months I think I brought her back, and then within six weeks we had a diagnosis because we had to go to the ENT, and then she did her testing, and then we had to go to the hospital to do the ABR testing. So it was definitely this longer process. In hindsight, I'm glad that I went back and challenged her. Initially, I probably should have just stuck with it and said, no, can you just refer me to someone? Because I thought that was odd as well. Like, why wouldn't she have just said, well, if you're concerned, why don't you go see this ENT or I'm not sure why we didn't get a referral for an audiologist originally and that I had to go back and stress my concern again before we were able to get that referral. Yeah, I feel like that is really brave to go back. And I know you're talking about how you didn't push it hard enough, but that's so hard as a new mom. Mm -hmm. And then the professional, like you're inclined to trust them. So Yes, exactly. So I would always tell my friends, if you have any concerns or your gut's telling you something different, then just challenge them. And you know, you know your child's best and you need to really just be confident that, you know, you're doing what you think is in the best interest of your child. So before her diagnosis, what was your experience like with hearing loss? Did you know anything about hearing loss in children? Had you met anybody with a hearing loss? I didn't. I really didn't have any exposure to hearing loss. I remember at the playground when I was younger, there was a family where there was several of the children with a hearing loss and they were using American Sign Language. Other than that, that would be like my only experience exposure to anyone that couldn't speak and use sign language. And the same for my husband too. 
So that being said, like not having the previous experience, what sort of got you through that time of figuring all this out and starting to learn about the process? I've heard from parents that it's it's just very overwhelming in the beginning. It's all new. You've got this new baby twins on top of that, which yeah. sound, is overwhelming in itself. So what helped you and your husband navigate the process early on? Good question. I feel like my husband and I were always a really good team. Uh, we worked together to solve problems, no matter what it was. But, um, and I think you know, having twins, we constantly learned from the onset to like work as a team. But I think I've always been the type of person that doesn't take no for an answer, and I've always sought out professional advice and seeking out and problem solving my way through things, uh, whether it be personal or career-wise. So we both really just kind of put on our seeking out what are all of our options mode because we were unfamiliar with uh, hearing loss. And I knew right from the beginning that I wanted Clara to have the opportunity to communicate with anybody she wanted to. I just didn't see her as having this limited communication. I wanted her to be able to play with the other kids in our neighborhood and communicate with them. And I wanted her to be able to speak her words and and express how she felt to anybody. So I just immediately knew that I needed to find a way that she could become an oral communicator. And I think my husband and I both felt like, well, this is just what we need to do. And as a parent, and every parent out there knows this, is that you just put on your hat and you just say, okay, I am going to do whatever I need to do to, to get the right answers and to find the solutions that I think are best for my child. So we knew we had a vision of her being able to communicate with you know whoever she chose to and live in a world that is speaking. So we just continue to seek out and ask questions to get the answers that we felt like would help us get there. Who first started talking to you about like communication modes and how early was that? So that started with the ENT. Initially, she had really talked about American Sign Language. She said, your daughter is severe to profound or severely has a severe hearing loss. And the ABR will tell us exactly what that is. But we said, well, what does that mean? And she's said, well, I think you might want to start looking at sign language and learning sign. And my first reaction was, well, wait a minute, this isn't what we were expecting. And she didn't initially share with us that there was this whole oral communication mode, which I thought was a little alarming. But then she did say, well, there are children who learn to listen and speak and you know, she'll need hearing aids. And then she, so she didn't really walk us through much. So then we went to Lurie's and uh, Lurie's Children's Hospital, and we had the ABR test on. And there we met with audiologists, and they gave us this uh, packet of information that listed like all the modes of communication. So we looked and saw that there was options for American Sign, if that's what we chose, or to work with her hearing device, which were her hearing aids, and learn oral communication. And then there's total communication. So we felt relieved, like, okay, now we know some of our options. 
And then we pursued the oral communication. I started calling just therapists to see, you know, who was a good fit and realized quickly that there was several in my neighborhood and I ended up starting with one of them. And she was wonderful and she worked with Clara. But I was feeling anxious in the sense that I felt like this was moving really slow in the sense that I thought we tried to do as much as we could at home, of course, working with Clara and and going over sounds. But we quickly learned that with hearing loss, the child doesn't really get incidental learning. So I could say to my son, oh, put the light switch on, and he could go over to the light switch. Whereas Clara had no idea, like light and then switch and together. And so it was until we really arrived at Child's Voice that she learned all of that incidental learning that she missed. She was able to learn through a play-based therapy and word association. That really made a huge difference then, too. That's really interesting to hear that Back then, the ENT was talking more about American Sign Language because I feel like today we hear from families that the oral route is emphasized a little bit more. So it's interesting to hear that perspective. So a lot of the families I work with, they talk to me about how you have to make this choice really early on for your own child. And um, some of our the families I work with talk about how they wish that they could wait a little bit and have the kid make the choice. But as you mentioned, that everything happens like before age five, you need to get everything moving really fast. And it's awesome that you got everything moving as fast as you did. How does it feel to hear your mom talking about this period of time where she's making this choice that's going to go with you the rest of your life? Um, I mean, I've heard my mom talk about this decision making (laughs) process for a lot of times now. But whenever she does talk about it, I feel like I'm hearing it in a way that I would have kind of gone about it too making sure I know all of my options and then which one seems to be like the best outcome. And I really think that my parents both did it in the way that I would have taken it on. And I'm really glad that they made the decision they made with me going into oral communication and having cochlear implants and making sure I had the best way to be able to integrate into like a hearing community and be able to communicate in a hearing world because otherwise it would have been very late for me to try to get cochlear implants, try to learn how to hear all the speech and the sounds and interpret what I'm hearing a a lot later because all of that comes so much easier when you're doing it with a child and you're making sure that they are able to connect things. And then as they go on later in life, it's all just effortless and more natural for them. And so I think that's really was a great decision my mom made. And parents. That must be good to hear. (laughs) Yes, it is. So I I have a question about this issue of incidental learning that your mom mentioned. We talk about that a lot with young children with hearing loss, that it's hard for them to learn language incidentally. And parents will often ask, well, is it going to be like that forever? So I guess that's a question to you, Claire. Do you feel like you pick up information incidentally, sort of without really having to focus on listening? How natural is that process for you? I would say I always thought growing up, maybe learning new things was kind of just the way I was doing it was kind of how everyone was doing it. And then I kind of realized people do like tend to pick up more. And then I kind of need to hear something maybe a few more times and then it it will register. Oh, that's what that means. And that's how I use that in a sentence and stuff. But I really do not think that it's made it very different for me. I just kind of need to hear it more, like maybe 
more intentionally learn what like a word is but yeah I just need to like kind of focus more on that kind of thing yeah yeah it sounds like you've learned like what works for you too so it's probably gotten easier over time yeah you're exactly an adult and can figure (laughs) out what works best for you that's so helpful. I think it's really helpful for parents of really young kids, which is what Tatum and I work with, um, to hear from someone your age. You know, what's it like to be a young adult with a hearing loss and cochlear implants? And because, like you said, it's there's so much unknown when kids are babies, and it's amazing to hear what some people's outcomes are when they're young adults. So it sounds like you were always on board, Julie, with listening and spoken language, mm-hmm. cochlear implants. Was there ever anything that you were hesitant about, like the surgery or any aspect of getting a cochlear implant? Yes, definitely. So we started exploring the cochlear implants and I mentioned spoke to a couple different surgeons. It's a serious surgery and we were looking for a surgeon that was an expert and, and had done many surgeries because that were where our comfort level was. But we recognized that there was always potential complications with surgeries. So you take that into account. But the fact that this particular surgery was essentially going to eliminate whatever hearing she had at that point. So she was severe to profound, diagnosed. She could hear loud sounds, but we knew once the cochlear implant went in that she would potentially lose the little sound that she had. And then she had enlarged vestibular aqueducts, which was a progressive loss potentially too. So her left ear was worse than her right ear. So we decided to do her left ear first, but we had considered maybe doing both ears. But back 15 years ago, insurance companies only wanted to do one ear Mm because I guess they felt like you were capable of just hearing with one ear instead of two, but it, that, that's a whole other issue. So we evaluated uh, all of the scenarios and we felt like the cochlear implant was going to be the best option for her because it would give her access to all those sounds she wasn't hearing. So at that point, we felt confident in the surgeon and the success of the surgeries and the very limited possibilities of not successful outcomes, I guess, that we felt like it was worth moving forward to give her this option. So we were nervous, and we were very happy with the success of her first surgery. The uh, doctors at the hospital and, and even the nurse staff was just amazed at how brave she was, and she didn't cry, and she was very easy to work with, never screamed. They said they've never worked with a child that was more trusting than Clara. And, of course, that made me cry because it came out and she had this, you know, big wrapped side of her head that was engauzed. And she came out of it as like a champ and then uh, went through the whole process of being turned on and her hearing being activated, which was just like amazing and so exciting to watch her expressions and hear her first real sounds of speech because she was getting such little speech sounds with her hearing aids that her speech was really suffering. So it was amazing to watch the transition within a couple years of the cochlear implant and her sounds being so clear. And then at seven, she received her second implant. We realized that the residual hearing she had, it just wasn't worth not giving her the bilateral ability to hear uh, with the cochlear implant. So she had her second surgery when she was seven. After the surgery, same thing, 
you know, that everybody was complimenting like how well she did. <laughs> she was so brave. And after the surgery, we were on the way home and she asked if we could go to Subway. So I was like, okay, you're going to snap right out of this from uh, yeah, the anesthesia and everything. She was hungry, and we got home, and she ate her Subway. And In fact, the audiologist had me send pictures of her because she's like, I have to share this with my other patients. So they can see that the bounce back can be pretty quick. Clarice, so at seven, do you remember that surgery then? Yeah, I do remember that one definitely more. I remember just like waking up and... I had my little dog stuffed animal, and that was all I needed to be happy (laughs) at that that time. (laughs) Yep, that and Subway. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you remember like the lead up to that surgery, like deciding to get an implant? Did you guys talk about it together? I remember, yeah, we did talk about it a little bit, and I just remember being really excited, and like I would tell my friends, like, "Oh, I'm gonna get another hearing aid," and I was really excited about it. What about the initial? turning on of the device. Do you remember what it sounded like and, and what that process was like? Yeah, so I was able to have the comparison of a new cochlear implant. And when you hear that, you're not used to the new different distinguishing of sounds with your new ear compared to my other ear, which I had like worked so hard on. And it did sound like more kind of technological and robotic, I remember kind of talking with you about that. Mm-hmm. And then it was just a little uncomfortable at first, but then I just kept wearing it and working with it, and it now sounds almost the same as my other ear. I don't notice a difference. Before, I used to be like, oh, like, is it ever going to sound the same? And it, like, totally did. I just worked with it. And what does that sound like to you? A lot of families will ask, well, does it sound mechanical? What is my child going to hear? So what does it sound like to you? It's hard, you know, just kind of what you can imagine robotic is like, I guess, the closest I can get to it. And it sounds more maybe just different pitched, not like as fluent. And as I just listened to it more and I would wear it more often, it would sound more closer to my left ear because my right ear was a new one. So then they just kind of started to flow together. And what does it sound like now that they're flowed together? I know that might be hard to explain, and your perception of sound is different Mm -hmm. than ours, but do you hear that robotic speech now? What does it sound like to you now? I don't hear any sort of robotic speech. It sounds very normal to me, kind of. I've always wanted to see if I could, like, compare what it sounds like, but, yeah, I don't obviously know the difference. So to me, it sounds normal and... Every day, just is that's what I hear. So, like, there's nothing to compare it to. So, I'm not like, oh, like, it's, I wish it sounded like this because this is like the best I can get. And it's like good, really good for me. So, it sounds like you go to concerts, you enjoy yes. music. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do you listen to music? I have a speaker and I listen to music at concerts like anyone else. On my new hearing aid, I have Bluetooth, so I can actually listen to music straight from my phone to my hearing aid. And it's just, it sounds like I'm listening to a speaker, like, right next to my ears or something. It just sounds very clear and awesome. Do you ever, like, listen to music in class? Because no one would know. (laughs) (laughs) Are you a good student? (laughs) 
So my husband knows somebody with an implant and they were talking about how, I'm sure you've never done this. They like cheated on a test once because they like Bluetooth connected. Oh, wow. oh, my, oh my God. God. Don't do that. No, I've never Don't done cheat that. in college. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be too frightened and like scared I was going to get caught or something. I'd be like yeah. shaking while doing it. Yeah. It's much better just to learn the information, but yes, <laughs> yes. right. Yes, yeah, I guess if you ever had a really boring class, you could just put on like Audible or something. Yeah, usually. Um. I, I, well, not the cheating part, but usually, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> usually if it's like a quiet class, like kind of boring, I would like can just like listen to music or something in the background. I don't abuse the ability to do it though. You probably don't want to say this in front of your mom. Okay, so we've talked a lot about your devices, the beginning, but we haven't touched on this yet. So Cochlear helped connect us with you guys since you use Cochlear devices. So how did you go about making that decision, Julie, like choosing between the manufacturers? We had, again, evaluated the different manufacturers at the time. And since we were at Child's Voice School, I was able to talk with a lot of the other parents who had children with cochlear implants, which was another amazing aspect of the school, is that it was just wonderful networking and meeting other parents and being able to share with somebody what you're going through, and they really get it. So that was really important. And I had only really heard very positive things about cochlear. And my audiologist was also very helpful in establishing uh, my confidence, I think, in cochlear too. Just based on her experience, when I was you know, specifically evaluating cochlear, she had nothing but great things to say about them and that they were very progressive and appeared to be really looking in the future and trying to continuing to improve. And then And at the time, I think it was the Nucleus 24 back in 2003. And part of my decision was that there was going to be this advancement and that there was only going to be certain amounts of the electrodes that would be fired up and then there would be reserved for all these other advancements. So I felt like it was a company that she could grow with and that it was going to be changing. And honestly, like... To think about where we are today, even with her device versus back when she was three, is like night and day. She has been able to, over the years, I think she's upgraded like four different times the device, the external device, the internal device has been compatible. But she has been able to benefit from so many of the upgrades. And most recently, the Bluetooth, which she just mentioned, and also the benefits of just being on the phone with Bluetooth has been tremendous for her. She's so happy. And there's also an aqua device now, so she can actually swim with her friends, which was very challenging in her early years, 5 to 10 13 years, whatever range, you know, obviously the challenges of being at the pool without being able to swim with your device. When she was little, we tried to create our own ways to make it waterproof, <laughs> but we won't tell anybody else yeah. that. No. Yeah. <laughs> and we would not recommend right. that. Right. No, no. <laughs> And it didn't really necessarily work all the time. So the best part of it is that you don't have to worry about that now. They have the the technology. They have the solution. So that was part of uh, really our decision-making. I just felt like, you know, I was the most confident with them. And I'm very happy with our decision. And they're very responsive. It's, It's been very easy to work with. The turnaround time is amazing. Within 24 hours, I can get a new device or if something breaks or a coil is not right or the people are always so helpful and I've just been extremely happy with the service. 
What would you recommend to other families that are trying to make this decision of device selection? What would you tell another family to do to try to help them make their decision? Because all the companies are changing and upgrading, just doing a thorough evaluation of each company and the size of the device, the compatibilities, the future upgrades, the options available. There's lots of accessories, what works best for you. Maybe one company has something another doesn't. I would just evaluate all of those things and then you know decide what you feel would work best with your child. Clara, so this is kind of similar to making a decision about communication mode, getting an implant. Your mom and dad also picked something that you're going to use the rest of your life. So you're now working with Cochlear for the future. How has your experience been with the company and your devices? I've just been very happy with, like, you know, the turnaround time. It's very annoying if something happens with your device and you don't want to, like, not be able to have the full use of it for a long time, but it would be like within the next two days, I would instantly get something that would help it just be the normal device again. And then also all the upgrades have been great. Like they're continuously upgrading them and making it better than I could have even imagined. Just there's different things that you kind of think like, oh, like this would make it better. And then they do it. And it was just really awesome that that would happen because I'm confident that they're just going to keep on improving as I grow up, and that's just, that's awesome. How much of your device do you manage now, as opposed to, you know, when you were young, your parents probably did it all for you, changed your batteries, made sure nothing was broken. How do you manage that now? I have, like, all the stuff in my room, and I mean, growing up, I used to, like, have to be like, oh, like, mom, can I have this? Where's this? What do I do with this? And they had everything there. As I grew up, I had to become more independent with it. And before, I used to rely on them to bring my batteries places and stuff. But if that got messed up, I realized it's on me to do that because it affects me. So I learned that I had to really just take it upon myself to make those decisions, especially since, I don't know, it's so a part of me that just like any other child who has their own thing that they need to take upon themselves, I just needed to take that and be independent with it. And have you become independent if there is something wrong with the device? Do you contact Cochlear and set that up? Or? Um, we kind of just like work together. Like mm-hmm. sometimes I'll do it. Sometimes I'll ask my mom to do it. But yeah. Like recently when you went on your trip, you took it upon yourself to call and ask some questions about yeah. things you were curious about. Yeah, I was traveling internationally, so I was wondering if there was anything at the airport I needed to like worry about or I was going to encounter, and so I called them, and Cochlear was really easy. They were just like talking with me, and it was really nice. So, yeah, I called them and was making sure that that was going to be good. Was it good? Did you yeah. have any issues? No, okay. it was fine. Around what age did you start encouraging Clara to take responsibility for her devices? Was it a process? Yeah, I feel like it was mostly in high school because she became more independent in high school. She was on several sports teams and service clubs and out and about in the community for 12 hours a day. I think it was just a process of like, let's make sure you have X, Y, and Z before you leave. Then over the years, she just took it upon herself to make sure she had all that. As she mentioned, you know, there was times when she might have forgotten her backup batteries and then batteries died and she'd be like, Mom, my batteries died. Can you bring me some batteries? (laughs) So she 
you know, I think over the course of four years, you've really just independently took it upon yourself to handle all that. We'll talk about ordering batteries because, of course, I'm paying for them. So (laughs) I will order them, but she'll come and say, well, I need to order some batteries. Or she'll order them and then she'll take my credit card and order them or whatever it might be, or microphone covers or whatever it might be. So I feel like it didn't happen overnight. But as mistakes would happen where I didn't have anything, I just realized, like, I can't just rely on you to do everything for me. So then it was on me to do that. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful that you intentionally helped Claire become more independent because now you're going off to college and it's going to all be on you. That's exciting. What kind of preparations have you made about going to college? I think there's some things that just are going to transfer over and it's not like going to be anything different. But for my like accommodations and help with my education services and stuff, at University of Illinois, which I'm going to be going to next year, they have a program, DRES, which is Disability Resources Education Services, and they have like a lot of great accommodations there. So we made an appointment with them, and I'll be having someone who will help me if I don't have any accommodations that are being met from my professors. And so that's, I would say, the biggest transition, and that's already being taken care of, and I'll be supported in that way. So it'll be good. Did you specifically pick the University of Illinois at Champaign for any particular reason? Well, Clara can talk to that based on her major. Uh, Yeah, so I'm going to be studying bioengineering, and basically they have a really good program for the engineering school as a whole. It's just a very good school. And so that was one of my top schools that I was looking into, and really the whole, like, For my hearing loss, that kind of just came afterwards because we just figured hopefully the school has good accommodations, and usually they do. So that wasn't really into consideration, but more my major. The proximity of the school and just kind of it all like really fit together. That's incredible to hear that that was your driving force in picking a school is bioengineering, not having anything to do with your hearing loss, but what you want to do for your career and your life. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. What do you even do with that? (laughs) What kind of careers come from that? You really can do anything with it. Consulting, research, you can even go into medicine. So I like how there's a lot of options open for it. And I'm going to really find out what specifically I can do while I'm studying it. I haven't really like decided. I just know that I really like that general field and I will figure it out later. Yeah. yeah. It sounds amazing. That's how I, when I first entered school, I was like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You sound like yeah. you have more of a plan than I did. So you have a good start. I think it'd be cool to hear from both of you guys, your sure. experience at Child's Voice, both as a parent and then if you remember mm-hmm. anything about it as a student. Mm-hmm. And I think the one big thing that Tatum and I are interested in is the kids work so hard. Mm-hmm. We perceive that as the kids yeah. work so hard. So we just talked about college and sort of where you are now and where you're going, but let's go back for a minute to where you started. So back to Child's Voice, it sounds like you started in 2002 Mm -hmm. and graduated in what year? 2007. Clara was going into first grade. I started in 2006. I remember overlapping just for a little bit. Mm -hmm. So do you remember, Clara, anything from that time at Child's Voice? I know you were young, but what was that experience like for you? I just remember the carpools there and just running into the school and being greeted by everyone and just how amazing all the teachers were. 
everyone was so nice and welcoming and I just like it felt like a second home and all of the other children were like me so we were all like just working really hard and that was kind of just how it was it wasn't like oh like I'm working extra hard because all of us were working so hard and then we also had a really great balance of singing and playing so it was really still totally fun and I remember like recess and all the little fun events we had like water day and I remember they would bring the zoo to us and we would go into the big auditorium and would have different speakers and singing. I just remember a lot of like constantly having fun. Like I remember just smiles around me and just everyone was very supported and it really gave me a lot of confidence and I really graduated with a lot of confidence in myself and my abilities and I didn't end up needing to like question that at all when I went into mainstream schools. During my vulnerable times of learning all that I learned at Child's Voice, came into mainstream school confident and knowing like I am just as smart as everyone else in this classroom. And even despite my struggles, I'm still going to be learning just as much as my other classmates. That's a really interesting perspective for you to say that you didn't feel like you were working as hard because all the other kids were doing the same thing. Julie, do you remember? I'm sure mm-hmm. you were, Of course you remember that time, yeah. but what do you remember about it? Yeah, so I remember so many wonderful things. Even when she first started, I remember her two-and-a-half, three-year-old stage of just learning, again, words and being so excited about all the new words she was learning. And then turning those words into phrases and then phrases into sentences. And the thing that really was just a neat experience was that I always felt like they were so clever in teaching the kids language. So Miss Jeanette was the teacher at Child's Voice for years. She had a Golden Apple Award and just was wonderful. And she had taught them words through singing. And so Clara learned like all her vowels through singing through that special song that they had. And and every once in a while, I still to this day catch myself singing that song. It's so funny because it stuck with us. We would sing it all the time. We had a poster at home and we would go through the the sounds. So that was just really just a neat experience watching her learn through song. And then the shopping experience So Elsa would have them shop, and so she would set up a grocery store in her classroom, and the kids would shop, and then they would have a list of items. They would pick it out, and it was just adorable. Like, And Claire just always had so much fun, and she was learning so much, and I felt like she didn't even realize how much she was learning because it was such a play-based environment and loving and very caring, and she loved her teachers, and she would have pictures of her classmates and her teacher in her room all the time. So I felt like it was just a, a really such a positive experience. And we learned about advocacy, how they taught Clara advocacy. They taught us parents advocacy. We learned our rights under the Disabilities Act. We understood how to fight for her rights in the classroom and mainstreaming. It was such a great environment for parents because we were educated. We had networking with other parents and we had the support. And then our child was being taught in such a wonderful manner and and learning so much. So it was just such a very positive experience overall. And then when we mainstreamed into the 
school system, we chose a private school for Clara, a pirate Catholic school in our community versus the public school. And her twin brother was going there and she went to school with her twin brother and her you know, friends from the community. The school was wonderful and, and Child's Voice helped us do in-services to help explain and educate the teachers on Claire's hearing loss and how to work best with her and her accommodations. And Carrie would come out a couple times a year to just check and make sure that things were going right in the classroom and Clara was comfortable and her teacher was working with her IEP. And we also had our hearing itinerant, which was wonderful. Gloria, she worked with Clara since she was uh, mainstreamed into high school. And that relationship was really special and very helpful. And they were great in the mainstream environment and, again, supporting and helping advocate. That was really important for her success. Yeah, I think I really got a lot of the importance of advocacy because that's just so strong to have to be able to say, like, oh, like, could you repeat that? Or, like, I do need more help with this, talking to your teachers. I even took that advocacy with me in high school, and I would even tell my friends, you need to ask your teacher for more help, maybe more time. It's just, I grew up being told, like, advocate for yourself, advocate. And that word, I just knew so much earlier than I think some people. And you don't really think to, like, advocate, even if you may not need it. I just learned it doesn't hurt to try and to ask, because you never know what doors could open for that. So I think that was a really big thing I did learn from them. Yeah, that's amazing. I often think that the kids coming out of Child's Voice have much better advocacy skills than I even did in college. Like, I had to learn that over time in college. Sometimes I still don't advocate for myself. Mm-hmm. So that's so funny that you're teaching your other friends to do it. Yeah, that's amazing. Even her twin brother. So how old was Clara uh, when she transitioned out of Child's Voice then, and how did you know that she was ready to transition into the mainstream? So we decided, along with Child's Voice staff, that she should do kindergarten at Child's Voice based on all the testing. I can't remember what they called them. The tassel level. Yes. (laughs) These different levels of showing where a child is. And she, up through kindergarten, was doing phenomenal, and she was on pace, but there was definitely some gaps. And we felt it was the best interest of her to be at Child's Voice for Kindergarten versus being mainstreamed at that point so that she could really learn some of those critical reading and math skills to prepare her for first grade. So that was, I thought, a great decision because uh, by the time she got to first grade, so she was seven, and she entered first grade in the mainstream, and her teachers were just blown away. They were just amazed at her vocabulary and her articulation and her math skills and science skills, which we've found out is extremely strong. Science and math are just her thing that comes easier to her. Well, of course, you work hard at it, but at the same time, it's just a more natural interest for her, so she learns it quick. And I think that was a testament to the decision we made because she was completely ready to mainstream. Do you remember that time, Clara? Yeah, I remember because I was very excited to finally go to the same school as my twin brother. So that was really exciting, too. I do remember graduating and having my cap and gown as a young little girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was really a cool experience to finally have such a great accomplishment and then be going into a mainstream school with my brother and the friends that I had in my community 
yeah, just felt like another year of school. Just everyone would graduate from Child's Voice and go to mainstream schools. Yeah, I feel like they prepared you well for that, too. It wasn't like a scary right. thing to do. Carrie did a great job teaching the kids, this is what it's going to be like in the classroom, you know, with other, your hearing peers, and this is how you need to ask for help, and let's practice that. And they did, like, a lot of role modeling. So I felt like you just were extremely prepared. That's great to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's still a big focus of the program now is sort of preparing kids to move on to wherever it is that they're moving on to. They do the self-advocacy. They also do like a kindergarten mainstream experience where we partner with a local kindergarten and our kids go over there for an hour every month or so and then their kids come to us. It's because they're going into classrooms with 25 children. A child's voice are biggest class is 10. So it's a really big shift. So we do whatever we can to prepare everybody for that. And then when you transitioned into the mainstream, were you the only person with hearing loss at that school? Yes, I was. What was that like going from child's voice where everyone your age had a hearing loss into the Catholic Um, school? I don't know. I just, I don't recall it being strange or anything. There was no hesitation to be in a different environment where I wasn't with people who had no hearing loss. I think when you do have family, no one has hearing loss in your family or just in your community. And we were used to socializing with everyone in my community, too. It just didn't feel out of the ordinary. So it felt comfortable. So just over the course of Clara's life, what kind of positive experience have you guys had related to her hearing loss? And what kind of challenges have you guys experienced related to her hearing loss as she's going from middle school, high school, growing up? Well, I think with any of the challenges, I felt educating maybe people on hearing loss and just getting them to understand the best learning and listening environment for you. It wasn't really challenging, but just having to really be advocating all the time through school. Like every year there was a new teacher and teachers and new people that needed to understand her hearing loss to make sure that she was in the best listening environment. So at the pool or just people not realizing maybe she had a hearing loss, there was so many people that would talk to Clara. If she had her hair down, I would say, yeah, she's hearing impaired. And they say, what? I would have never suspected that. So I think people have in their own mind like what that looks like. And even at the pool one time when she couldn't go in the water with her hearing devices, she had been talking to the lifeguard and she walked away. And so I said to the lifeguard, oh, could you make sure you, like, you keep an eye on her just because she doesn't have her hearing devices on in the water and she may not hear you. He's like, wait a minute. I just had a conversation with her. How did she talk to me? I said, well, she lip reads. So it it was just, again, the whole education process of having people recognize the best way to make sure that Claire is able to hear everything that they're saying or communicating. Yeah, I guess it doesn't end that you need to advocate for yourself. Every new teacher I had, I needed to like explain, yeah, like I'd prefer to be in the front of a classroom or like Maybe if you repeat something that someone soft-spoken in a classroom says, that would be very helpful for me. And just kind of working with everyone I met, meeting new people who talked different. Maybe there were a lot of people who, like, were soft-spoken, and I'd, like, get so annoyed. And I'd be like, oh, like, you just need to talk better. (laughs) Every little experience I had, I learned how to find a good way to deal with it. And I learned a better way to take it on next time I experienced it. 
different environments where it was really noisy in restaurants, playing sports and being in loud gyms, being with my coach in like a loud gym too. Every little experience was a continuous progression into making things less challenging, but it's always a continuous thing. And on the positive side, I feel like your other senses are extremely heightened. And um, her sense of smell. Yes, I've heard that a lot. <laughs> Taste, right? Or yeah. we, like, we like our food. We're foodies. And I feel like Clara's hearing loss has made her such a compassionate person. She's got a ton of empathy. She's such a loyal friend. She's a great listener, which is just awesome. <laughs> And she's just a really special person. Everybody who meets her feels that. Thanks, Ma. Sounds like she had a wonderful role model and a great environment to grow up in. That doesn't just come naturally. That comes from the environment that you create for your family. So it sounds like it all has kind of come together. That's all there with you and being in the family. You guys are going to make me cry. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it it also sounds like Clara's become a role model for her friends, you know, teaching them how to advocate for themselves, even though they don't have a hearing loss. You just become such a strong young woman. It's great to see you be a role model for so many people and you as a parent showing other parents that your hard work does pay off and just to sort of trust Mm-hmm. That things will be okay. Trust your instincts. Trust your child. Trust yes. yourself. Right. Those are hard things to know when you've got a six-month-old baby that you're thrown this curveball of life. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing all this with sure. everybody. Sure. Yeah, it's important to stay optimistic and just uh, you know continue doing what you need to do to get the outcome you want. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing. And just like us working together, mm-hmm. we really kind of did this together. And I had, like, a lot of support, so it was easy with that. Well, good. Glad you feel that way. So before we wrap up, Clara, what are you looking forward to most about college? Well, I'm just really excited to be in a new environment and try new things. And it was really fun going into high school with a new environment and making new friends. And I'm excited to do that again. I still have such amazing best friends from high school who were just so supportive of each other that I'm excited to make more new friends and to also learn so much educationally too. It's going to be just a really fun time to like be doing what I'm passionate about and then also be surrounded by a lot of new people and just learn more about who I am too. Yeah, we can't wait to see what you do. We'll have to have you back on the podcast in a couple of years to tell us about yeah, for sure. all of the great things that you're doing in college. Bioengineer. Yeah. <laughs> Julie, are you nervous about the transition? I think as much as any parent to sending their child off to college, I'm going to miss her a ton, but I'm so excited for all the adventures that she has awaiting her. And I think she's going to love college, and I'm excited to watch her find what she really wants to pursue. And I think she's prepared. She's uh, always been very strong-willed and independent to a large degree, so I feel like she's going to be able to make this transition as easy as it can be for any college student freshman year. Yeah, 
it's a scary but exciting time. Right. But it sounds like you're really prepared. Yes. And I'm going to jump in the car and come visit her. It's only like two hours. Yeah, it's like yeah, two, two and a half hours. hours. That's how I was an hour and a half from my family, and I felt like it was a good yeah. distance. Yeah. For your first moving away. Yeah, right. right. Yes. And what about your twin brother? He's actually also going to University of Illinois. Oh, yeah. so that's great. Yeah. It's a very big school, but we'll still be able to connect every once in a while. Yeah, that's amazing. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. So final question. We like to ask our guests just for general advice. It could be for families, professionals, anything that you feel you want to share with our listeners. I would just say if uh, you are exploring options for someone in your life that has a hearing loss and if they're a child that you absolutely have to visit Child's Voice School, it will change your life forever in the most positive way possible. And if you are an adult or a teenager that is considering cochlear implants or suffering from a newly diagnosed hearing loss, there's so many wonderful therapists out there and speech pathologists that stay optimistic and you can get the help that you want. It's out there. You just have to seek it out, talk to professionals, talk to anybody who has any knowledge in the field and you'll find your answers and you'll find your outcome. I would say as a person with hearing loss or a different disability, I think you need to really take advantage of all the opportunities you have. I think sometimes like growing up, I'd be like, oh, I'm too embarrassed to use this extra thing I get to have because it makes me look different. But it's really just so worth it to make yourself get rid of that disadvantage you have because no one really cares anyways in the end. it's Everyone has something different about them too. And I think you just really need to make sure you are using all the opportunities because you need to care about your success too. And you just need to look out for yourself, you know, not care about what other people are thinking. Why don't we wrap things up there? Julie and Clara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you for fitting us into your busy summer schedule, too. (laughs) When you first sent me the dates, I was like, oh, I'm glad we found a time. I know you both mentioned that if someone wants to get in contact with you, they can do that by reaching out first to Child's Voice. So we'll share our podcast contact info in a second. And then listeners, we'd love to hear from you. So we have contact info that we'll be sharing. But if professionals, families, if you have any thoughts on the episode, we love getting feedback. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Wendy Dieters SLP, and you can find Tatum at, at Tatum Fritz SLP. You can also email us at podcast at childsvoice.org, and you can find episode show notes and archived episodes at our Child's Voice website, childsvoice.org. And if you're interested in learning more about Child's Voice, Child's Voice is also on Facebook as well as Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Child's underscore voice, no apostrophe. And as always, we release episodes every other week on Wednesdays. So be sure to look out for our next episode in two weeks. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us for our next episode in two weeks on September 4th. Wendy and Tatum will be interviewing Dr. Nancy Young, who is a cochlear implant surgeon at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago, about her experience as a surgeon and the changes she's witnessed in cochlear implant surgery over time. It should be a great discussion. Don't miss it.